2: there should have been a tryout actually there should always be a tryout for the person who's going to throw out the ceremonial first pitch at a baseball game got a good example of why last night when dr fauci did what uh, couldn't pass as a throw last night before the nationals game uh, there have been some bad ceremonial first pitches uh, thrown, but that might be the worst, at least by a man anyway. Barack Obama and John Kerry were really bad. The best first pitch ever was thrown by George W. Bush at Yankee Stadium after 9-11. He threw it from the pitching rubber, and he hummed it in there. Now, I'll never understand why someone who throws like Dr. Fauci or Obama or Kerry, for that matter, um, would ever agree to do it in front of a crowd. And There was no crowd in Washington last night, but it was on TV. Of course, not long after he threw out that first pitch, Fauci was then uh, seen in uh, on videotape in the stands sitting between two women not wearing a mask. This was after wearing a mask on the mound in the middle of an empty stadium, which, by the way, was even more ridiculous than his throw, and his throw was ridiculous. Fauci's now trying to say that the pictures just caught him in between drinks of water, but nobody's buying that. Meanwhile, speaking of ridiculous, it is Friday, and you do know what that means. And now it's time for the jerk of the week, starring John Steigerwald. Yep, and once again, there are plenty of good candidates, and for some reason, the Democrats keep producing the winners. And the winner this week is the governor of New York for saying this To
3: be a bar, you had to have food available, soups, sandwiches, etc. More than just hors d'oeuvres, chicken wings, you had to have some substantive food. The lowest level of substantive food were sandwiches.
2: (laughs) That's right. It's gotten to the point that the governor of a really big state is now deciding what qualifies as legitimate or substantial food and what does not. Because if you allow people to go into a restaurant or a bar and eat wings instead of a sandwich... People are going to die. But many uh, people's lives were saved yesterday by Governor Andrew Cuomo. This week's Windows R Us Jerk of the Week. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R
0: Us, Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair
2: and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. And by the way, uh, yesterday I talked to a guy who owns a uh, restaurant bar, and he told me that you know he's not allowed to serve. Uh, he, he can serve prepared food. He can't serve drinks to people and then just have them eating potato chips or uh, crackers or something like that. It has to be prepared food and he actually said to me he thinks he could get away with giving them applesauce if he took a little cinnamon from the kitchen and put it on the top that would qualify as prepared in the restaurant that's where we are in 2020 when we come back uh, we're going to check in with the uh, man who's trying to win a seat in congress from the 17th district that would be sean Purnell. stick around Uncle Tom is a movie that leftist Democrats don't want you to see, which, of course, is one big reason why you should want to see it. Uh, Uncle Tom stars Larry Elder, Candace Owens, Herman Cain, and Brandon Tatum. Now, they all share three things in common. They're courageous, they had a life-changing experience, and they are black conservative Americans. Something else they have in common? Their voices are the ones the leftists don't want you to hear at a time when so many desperately need to hear it. It's their stories of how their lives were changed when they finally figured out the truth. It's the story of black conservatives in their own voice. You can see Uncle Tom now on pay per view. Just go to uncletom.com and download it. The stories that these courageous people have to tell will shock you. Their journey will amaze you. It's a story of redemption and hope. It's the story of America's black conservatives and it's the truth. See Uncle Tom now. Just go to UncleTom.com. You've heard all
1: the lies about President Trump. Trump is a racist. Trump is Putin's pet. Here's the truth. Trump is the most effective conservative president that America has had in decades. And every lie they spread about him is targeting you. This is Kurt Schlichter. And my new book is called The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You. It does what no other book does. It knocks down the 21 biggest lies about our president with facts and logic and humor. Trump obstructed justice, Trump hates immigrants. These are big lies, and the reason for the lies is simple. President Trump is the first president in a long time to stand up for the Constitution and for conservative principles. And when the left wants to tear down everything this country stands for, my new book, The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You, explains why this president's courage and common sense are exactly what we need today. This is the most important book of the year. Read it and you'll agree. The 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You by
3: me, Kurt Schlichter
1: get it wherever books are sold.
3: Hi, this is Hugh Hewitt for The Circle Ring made by BodyMetrics.com B-O-D-I-Metrics.com BodyMetrics.com. It's now my companion every night when I go to sleep because it measures the quality of the sleep that I get the oxygen in my body. It is not a diagnostic tool. It's an observational tool. It's one that I started using two weeks ago and I'm very, very attached to. It gives you a baseline of your normal blood oxygen. It gives you a baseline of your pulse during exercise if you choose to wear it. And I do. It tells you how fast your heart is beating and that's always very good to know if you're getting the kind of exercise you need. But what you're going to see with the circle ring, again at BodyMetrics.com is an observation of how healthy you are as measured by the amount of oxygen that you have in your body. If you got any kind of a respiratory problem, any kind of apnea, any COPD, asthma, you ought to be wearing and reading the output from this ring every day. Go and check it out. BodyMetrics.com. B-O-D-I
4: Metrics.com, it's changed the way I sleep. As life gets back to normal and we start heading back to work, don't leave your leftover stash of toilet paper exposed to rodents. Send them packing the most humane way with Plug-In Pest Free. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest Free, the electromagnetic device that utilises the active wiring in your home or business to keep rodents and pests away. 100% chemical-free and environmentally friendly. Just plug it in. It's that simple. My strongest performer, the Pro Unit, is good for most homes and small businesses up to 4,000 square feet. Now that's fair income. Is your home or business protected? If not, order yours today at gopestfree.com. Use promo code RADIO20 for 20% off. That's gopestfree.com, promo code RADIO20. gopestfree.com. Promo code RADIO20. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget.
0: Warning. Listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The
4: John Steigerwald Show
0: on AM 1250. The Answer.
2: It's only three and a half months until the election and Pennsylvania could decide it, especially Western PA. And we have a race going on here that's been called a bellwether, maybe the bellwether, uh, for the entire election, it's the race for the seat representing the 17th district. Sean Parnell against Connor Lamb, and Sean Parnell joins us now. Sean, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, John. So uh, I, just, I don't. Need, this has <laughs> this has nothing to do with what I wanted to talk to you about. But during the break, I was just <laughs> flipping around on my computer. And I just had to—I had to say this because this is stunning. This is the kind of stuff you find on the internet. Something, somebody, okay. some site called Asher and Lyric. Okay, I don't know what that is. It's AsherFerguson.com. They compiled. This is the kind of stuff that's out there. The best countries for raising a family in 2020, uh, and they were the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development countries, OECD countries, and the uh, the the categories that they based it on were safety, happiness. Cost, health, education, and time. Now, the first, uh, the number one country is Iceland. Norway is two. Sweden is three. And Finland is four. So you knew the, the you know, the Scandinavian countries were going to do well. Denmark is six. I'm looking down here, and I'm, I'm looking for United States. And I'm, I'm looking on this screen, and uh, the United States comes in thirty-fourth, uh, just ahead of me- <laughs> just ahead of Mexico and they're in between Chile and Mexico. The United States is 34th, and I don't know if you knew this or not, Sean, but Turkey and Bulgaria are better places to raise a family (laughs) uh, than the United States. And uh, that's why you see all those people leaving the United States and heading for Bulgaria and Turkey all the time, because, you know, they bring their families over there. I
5: was just going to say, that is is just so stupid. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, there are people that brave shark-infested waters. Hundreds, maybe thousands a yeah. day uh, to bring sh- shark-infested waters to come here with People their families. Walk, yeah, walk hundreds of miles to try to cross our southern border so that they can breathe the free air in the United States of America. I've been all over the world, and and believe me when I tell you, whether I've been to South Korea, I've been up on the DMZ between North and South Korea, I've been in Kazakhstan, I've been in Afghanistan, I've been in Germany, I've been in Italy, I've been all over, mm-hmm. and you know there are lots of European countries that are nice. But believe me when I tell you, there's no place like the United States of America. I mean, it's just the best place on the face of the planet, not just for the individual, but yeah. also to raise a family.
2: But but we did we did uh, according to this. I I, I was going to use this at the end of the show, but I I, I couldn't I couldn't resist it. It's I, I'm I, I thought I mean I knew I knew in something like this that the United States was never going to finish first. You know, but I figured it, it might make <laughs> the top ten. But to be second to last. Only ahead of Mexico and, and, and just behind Chile and Turkey. That that uh, that stunned me. Anyway, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and, uh, You're welcome. I saw a tweet that said your campaign was in uh, Connor Lamb's neighborhood today. How'd that go?
5: Uh, it goes great. Look, I mean, we, in order for us to win this race, we have to go everywhere, talk to every voter, and earn every vote. And and that's what we're going to do. Uh, and that includes going right into to Connor Lamb's backyard in Mount Lebanon. You know, I feel like, you know, our, it, admittedly, and they'll tell you this, but our past two, past two Republican opponents didn't do a whole, or, uh, didn't do a whole heck of a lot of door knocking there,
0: uh-huh.
5: and we're we're going there, we're going there. We want to post stuff in his in his hometown, uh, and there are lots of Republicans there. I mean, and and we're going to earn every vote that we can get for sure. It's going really, really good. We've got a great campaign machine.
2: Yeah, and uh, was there any sign of Connor in the neighborhood? <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, <laughs> campaigning against Connor is a challenge. It, in many ways, it's like campaigning against a ghost. Right. Uh, but that's fine. If he's going to seed terrain on the battlefield, we're going to get out there and we'll outwork him every single day. Um, we have not seen Connor uh, in the neighborhood at all. Uh, but I will tell you this. Uh, we did see our fundraising report that came out a couple of weeks ago and it showed us beating Connor by over a quarter of a million dollars in fundraising. And, of course, that's the only metric that you have to really measure campaign momentum mm-hmm. in the middle of a campaign season. And we didn't just beat him. We almost doubled him up. And that's the first, that's the first time that's ever happened to, to Connor in, uh since he started running for Congress. And so we've got all the momentum in this race and we're going to be peddled to the metal every single day until Election Day and we're going to win this thing.
2: Uh, that i'm sure that got his attention um if, when those numbers came out um has he tried to separate so. has he tried to separate himself from joe biden as the more ridiculous joe gets, you know hiding in his basement and and uh the things that he's been I don't saying know,
5: I, don't know. I don't know how he can john i don't i mean connor was one of the first people to endorse joe biden so yeah. if you're going to endorse joe biden then you have to endorse every single crazy thing that he does and says and smells so Joe, Joe Biden is, you know, look, Joe Biden, I don't, I don't buy into the polling. Um, I, I think that when you get Joe Biden out of his basement and back on the campaign trail, when people start paying attention to presidential politics again, they're going to see President Trump standing next to Joe Biden. and People are going to realize that just Joe, Joe Biden doesn't have the steam and the wherewithal, the emotional and mental wherewithal for this job. And I, I'm not even, I'm not even throwing a political zinger, John. I just feel like he's, he's out of his prime. And, um, you know, Connor has, he hasn't tried to distance himself, uh, from Joe Biden. He can't. That's his guy. Uh, and, and, and again, with, and same with Pelosi, you know, his voting record with Pelosi speaks for herself. Like, uh, Connor Lamb is a case study in contrast of saying one thing in district and doing another thing in Washington. And one of those things was, oh, I, I I'm, I'm going to oppose Nancy Pelosi. Well, of course, he opposes her in a ceremonial vote in which she gave him a pass. Not vote for her for speaker, but he votes with her ninety three percent of the time. He even votes with the most radical members of his party, like uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Ilhan Omar, over ninety three percent of the time. So, so much for being an independent moderate voice for Western Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah, and um, uh, how, have you have you been able to uh, pick up on any people questioning him as you've been out on the campaign trail? I mean. Um, this guy has, for for the first couple of years he's been in there, he has, you know, he's been uncontested. He hasn't had to answer it for anything. Um, that's right. Is, uh, that's are you getting case. the feeling that people it's are totally are, are got, learning about what he is or is not?
5: Only only through our campaign and only through our message, um, and that that's the issue. You know, when when a representative in Congress says one thing in his hometown and does does another thing in Washington, it's the media's job. To call him out on the carpet and question him about it. You can yep. bet that if I turn, if, if I did something terrible for this region and I, I went back on a promise that I made to the people here in Western Pennsylvania, you can guarantee, John, it would be front page news. In every newspaper and on the headlines of every every local TV news outlet that we have here. And guess what? Rightfully so. That's the job of the media. But not so with Connor Lamb. Most people don't know that he voted on HR one, which is to give five million dollars of taxpayer funds to campaign. Most people oppose that. Most people don't know that he he voted to allow boys to compete in girls' sports. Why should little girls have to give up their dreams just because a boy wants to play their sport? Most people don't know that. Most people think that Conor Lamb is pro-life. He's not pro-life. Not only is he not pro-life, he voted against the Born Alive Act not once, but twice. This is a guy that has gone back yeah, and, on every uh, promise that he made.
2: But how do you, um, I mean, you, you you know all that, and you are using that uh, against him or trying to on the on the campaign trail, but um, and people are, are won't really start paying attention, and I'm sure you know, until after Labor Day, which is not that far off. Uh, but it 's you know another month and a half before people really get serious about this is it just a matter of you having to pound it home on your own by by knocking on doors and and uh and and mailings and uh, uh, social media whoever else you 're doing it
5: yeah i think I think that 's why that 's why fundraising is so important that 's why it 's so important that that our campaign has the resources to get the message out right because if we have the resources to get the message out then we can show the region how connor has gone back on all of his promises uh but yeah i mean i think the media also is starting to come around they're starting to sense that our camp that we're a serious campaign and i think most people look bottom line john we have all the momentum in this race right now we outraised him in his last quarter a couple days after we outraised him uh connor's campaign spokesperson and his brother told me to, to burn in hell and die I mean, you know if, if, you're, if the opposing campaign is saying that about you, then you're over the target and doing the right things. We've got the momentum, so it's about we're just going to continue to fundraise, continue to knock doors, continue to engage with voters. And my fundamental question is to, to everybody, Republican, Independent, uh, Democrat, doesn't matter, how can I earn your vote? Because this job is about representing the people and being among, among the people, and that's what I'm going to do.
2: You know, I was a little confused by that, uh, for his brother calling for you to burn in hell and die. Because the reason I, I thought it was interesting is because I think you have to die first and then you burn in hell. It's, you know.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the trick is on them because I've already been <laughs> to hell and back. I've been to Afghanistan and I made it right. home. So, and and um, I'm running for Congress and I'm undeterred and I'm going to stay in the fight and we're going to win. Pedal to the metal till November.
2: Yeah, I wasn't going to get to Afghanistan uh, right away, but since you mentioned it, uh, you are a combat veteran. You were You did tours in Afghanistan. There seems to be a battle brewing there uh, in Congress, uh, not just between Republicans and Democrats, but uh, some uh, disagreement in the Republican Party about uh, about uh, drawing down troops uh, or getting out of there or ending the war, however you want to put it. Uh, What would be your advice on that issue?
5: Yeah, well, I feel that pressure, too, uh, because I think, you know, on one hand, you know, we have to make good on the promises that we made to the Afghan people, like little kids, men, women and children who came out of the shadows to work with Americans to fight for freedom in their country. Well, we want to make good on the promises that we made them. But at the same time, John, we have a duty and obligation to parents in this country as well who send their child overseas and, and they fight, bleed and die for that country. So it, it becomes the real question is, when do we when do we pull out and how? Right, and, and what I say to people in Afghanistan from a strategic standpoint, Afghanistan is a, is a prime example of a country where you can do more with less. You don't need 100,000 troops in Afghanistan to do a lot. You can keep special forces team, a couple infantry battalions, ranger battalions to do direct strikes, keep the, enemies, keep the enemies in Afghanistan on their toes so that the Afghan government has the space, time that it needs to govern effectively uh, and, and secure their own people. So we don't need tens of thousands of troops there. Um, and so I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is there probably is a middle ground we don't need a wholesale pull out of Afghanistan we can keep a couple thousand troops there and maintain the promise of the people in Afghanistan while getting after the enemy right because that's the whole reason why we went in to keep that country from becoming a petri dish for terrorists and I don't think that we can just throw away all the gains that we made there uh, by just pulling out wholesale
2: what would the uh, what would the effect be though on the on the the personnel that's left there if you if you drew it down to what you said like i don't know what percentage you're talking about but you know by leaving some people there what situation are they going to be dealing with compared to what it's like right yeah, now it, it,
5: it's a great question I, it really is and we were there look i was in afghanistan and all of regional command east which is a which is a area of operations about the size of texas with about three one brigade right about eight thousand troops right and so Maybe about a thousand combat troops to cover the entire, almost the entire border region from northern Pakistan and Afghanistan all the way down to Shkin province, which is on the southern portion of Afghanistan, down to Gamal. So we have, we only had 3,000 troops there in all of regional command east. And I could make the argument that we were more effective, you know, keeping the enemy on their toes, keeping them guessing, uh, than with maybe, I think at the peak engagement in Afghanistan we had something like 50,000 troops in regional commandees i would argue that we are more effective with fewer troops so um but you raise a good point we never want to leave our troops in a compromised position and that, as yeah. you've seen the outposts you know how bad that can be uh but i don't think that they would be
2: now i got another question there was a poll uh done the other day that showed uh, i think the number was uh, 77% of republicans are hesitant to identify themselves as such uh, because of the reaction it gets from liberals, I mean, you can you can wear a uh, you can't wear a MAGA hat into a, a an establishment without l- at least wondering if somebody's going to give you some grief about it. It doesn't happen if you wear a Bi- right. somebody wears a Biden shirt in. That's not going to happen. But d- do you get do you get the feeling that there's a very loud silent majority out there because of that? A hundred percent. Yes, John. Absolutely. In fact,
5: the only people in that very same study that you referenced, the only people that feel comfortable expressing themselves are people that that identify as strongly liberal. So we're Mm -hmm. talking something like 77% of people don't feel comfortable sharing their political views. That means everything that we know about polling or everything that we think we know about politics could be turned on its head. Look what happened in 2016. At this time, I think Hillary Clinton was up by 20 in the polls clearly that was not true and everywhere we go in this district we find i mean you know we find people are obviously concerned about coronavirus they're concerned about their family safety they're concerned about being able to put food on the table for their families uh but by and large most people believe that president trump is doing his best and most people believe that that he is fighting for them right and so the answer to your question is yes i do believe that there is a the, a great silent majority out there that will be voting in November.
2: I got about a minute left and I'm up against a hard break. How much of a factor will those uh, restrictions uh, that are still in place because of COVID 19 be in your race?
5: What we're planning for, John, we watched how things played out during the primary. We've got a plan in place for the general. And the bottom line is, you know, we've got an absentee mail-in system that we believe is secure. And we have a plan to make sure that we chase down those ballots. But you also have a plan to make sure that all of our precinct locations stay open as well, so that Republicans, Democrats and independents can show up at their polling precinct and feel safe. I'm not worried about it. We've got a plan.
2: Yeah. And uh, but what about I only have 30 seconds, so I guess I'm out of time. Hey, Sean, I really appreciate any time you come on, and uh, it's getting close here. I'm sure I'll have you on again before the votes are cast, but uh, good luck and uh, talk to you next time.
5: All right. Thanks, John.
2: Anytime. Okay. That's Sean Parnell. He's running against Connor Lamb in District 17, and we'll be right back.
4: With an S. R. A. News newscast, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Bold, dramatic, historic. That's how President Trump describes his executive action to reduce the cost of prescription medications. The president said today he's been forced to take drastic action with Congress unable to address skyrocketing prices affecting many U.S. seniors. The Washington Post has settled a lawsuit brought by the parents of a teenager who alleged that news coverage of the teen's encounter with a Native American activist on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial last year was defamatory. The Post admitted no wrongdoing in settling with the family of Nicholas Sandman, the Covington, Kentucky high school student who was involved in the episode during a school trip to Washington, D.C. in January of 2019. Sales of new homes rose a sharp 13.8% in June, the second straight increase. On Wall Street, the Dow was down 182 points, and NASDAQ off by 98. This is SRN News. Thinking
1: about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40.
0: 800-523-3771 or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Jay Sekulow explains the new evidence of the Russian hoax.
5: It's a case that was based on bogus lies. It was it was fraudulent from the start. The FBI knew it was fraudulent from the start. They allowed it to go forward with one intention, to take down the sitting president of the United States. The problem that they ran into, of course, was that uh, we put on a real defense
0: and we held the government accountable. Jay Sekulow live, weeknights at 6, right before Larry Elder at 7, an a.m. 1250. The Answer. The Answer Pittsburgh
1: celebrates the high school class of 2020, and we'd like to reward your college-bound senior's achievement during our Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes, presented by Salem Media Group. Enter now through August 20th for a chance to win a $500 school package. Click the contest banner at theanswerpgh.com and upload a photo of your senior with a short bio of their future plans. Then, Friday, August 21st, one lucky senior will win a $500 school package. The Senior Spotlight Sweepstakes, brought to you in part by salem media group salem surround and this
0: station lately the stock market has been a roller coaster ride going up and down will the upcoming election or the spread of the coronavirus cause another drop no one knows but before it does and potentially affects your retirement income make sure your retirement portfolio is prepared for a market correction Make an appointment with the Synergy Group. Roy and Jason Locks and the team at the Synergy Group have since 1988 seen markets rise and fall, and they can help you weather a future storm. At your first meeting with the Synergy Group, it's a get-to-know-you meeting. Relax. no pressure, no hype, friendly. Roy and Jason Locks think it's important to get to know you and what you envision for your retirement. Plan now so you can be prepared no matter what storms are on the horizon. Schedule a visit today at 412-673-7760. The Synergy Group, 412 673 7760. Securities offered through JW Cole Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through JW Cole Advisors. JW Cole Financial and JW Cole Advisors are not affiliated with the Synergy Group, Incorporated. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WDBGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Outbound Parkway
6: East all stacked up, Bates Street to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. About seven extra minutes for the trip. Inbound heavy into the tunnel. That's about a three-minute delay. Inbound Parkway West also a few extra minutes getting from Green Tree Road to the Fort Pitt Tunnel on Banksville Road. Got some construction work on 19. A single line of traffic right at the Parkway West. In Homestead Area East 8th at McClure Street, an accident. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM
0: 1250, the answer, weather.
1: Mostly clear, tonight's low 65. Partly sunny Saturday, high 86. Saturday night, clear, low 66. Mostly sunny on Sunday, the high 89. Monday, clouds and sun with a passing shower, high 88. And for Tuesday, cloudy with a shower or thunderstorm with a high 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Andy Robb.
7: The John
0: Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
2: Well, you might say the people who run the gigantic tech companies got a little bit of a reprieve. They were supposed to show up um, in D.C. on Monday at, a, at noon for the start of congressional hearings. It's all part of an investigation into competition or the lack of it, I guess, uh, in the tech world. That hearing's been pushed back a week because of John Lewis's funeral, but a reckoning could be coming, or could it? Uh, Rachel Bovard is the senior advisor at the Internet Accountability Project, and she joins us now. Rachel, thanks for being here.
6: Thanks for having me.
2: So I want to make, am I pronouncing your last name correctly?
6: Bovard, you got it.
2: Okay, Bovard, thanks. So um, are, are all the usual suspects, uh, Amazon, Google, Apple, Twitter, and Facebook, invited to this party?
6: So we're going to see testimony from Google, Apple, Facebook, um, and Amazon. Twitter is not going to be at the table. Uh, they have been invited, but I don't know that they've worked out the final details yet. So uh, confirmed are Google, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook.
2: Yeah. Now, what, what is the uh, – I mean, the name kind of speaks for itself, but what's involved with the Internet Accountability Project? Who's, who's – uh, where did it start, and who's involved?
6: So the Internet Accountability Project uh, is a group I started last September. It's a group of conservatives who are concerned with the growing power of big tech uh, and want to work with lawmakers to hold tech more accountable. Um, You know, these companies have, have grown more powerful than some small countries and uh, you know there needs to be some accountability, and I think review of whether or not um, there is still a free market in tech, how these companies use their power over speech and other areas, and you know the bad acts that flourish online. These companies cover, uh, facilitate sex trafficking and, and things like that. So a host of issues that we look at, all designed to hold big tech accountable.
2: And is this this, uh, this hearing that's coming up as part of a long investigation? Um, who's been doing the investigating, and, and what have they been looking into? What are they looking for in this case?
6: So this hearing is part of the investigation by the House Antitrust Subcommittee. It's a subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee. They've been investigating at Big Tech for over a year, looking for anti-competitive conduct Now, this is just one aspect of the many investigations, actually, that that big tech is under. This is from Congress, but big tech is also facing investigations from the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission and 50 states attorneys general. So that means both Texas and New York agree that something might be up with big tech Um, so that those are all ongoing as well. This is just one of those investigations.
2: Yeah. And, and, um, you know, if they're if they're if they've reached the point where they're going to be sitting in a, in a congressional hearing, and the investigation has been going on for a year, um, they they have uh, they probably know the answer to a lot of the questions they're going to ask, don't they?
6: Well, I think it's up for debate. You know, this is just uh, about antitrust or anti-competitive conduct, but I expect Mm -hmm. many members of Congress will use this opportunity to raise a whole host of issues um, that they have a gripe with with big tech, whether it be, you know, censoring conservative speech or any speech, um, big tech's entanglement with China, um, the gross violations of privacy that these companies engage in. So. Uh, It's, I think, fair territory for all those things. So they're going to have to be on their toes because I think the questions
2: are going to cover a lot of ground. But the big thing is uh, right now is breaking up a monopoly.
6: Well, that's part of it. Uh, You know, under our antitrust laws, generally speaking, being big is not the problem. But it's when Mm. you use your market power to crush small competitors. And this same committee heard testimony in January from a number of small business owners that provided example after example of how Google, Amazon, Apple, um, and some of these companies, even Facebook, crush small competitors. Amazon is facing allegations that it flat out just copies uh, the intellectual property or ideas of small innovators uh, in this space. And so they're going to have to answer for that uh, and the antitrust enforcement at uh, DOJ and FTC will ultimately be the decision maker about whether or not to bring charges onto these companies.
2: Uh, how much of this, I wonder, is um, the Internet is still a, a relatively new thing, and when you had monopolies before, if, there, if it was a, a steel monopoly or something tangible that you could see that, you know, this is the only place I can get this product or that product, but the internet is still kind of out there and it's 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 uh, is it tougher to get your hands around the monopoly without doing a lot of investigating as opposed to past monopolies that you know involved products that you could see and touch and feel
6: yeah it's an interesting point and one i think that congress will, is going to be looking at i i spoke recently with congressman ken buck who's a republican from colorado who made a similar point and said, look, our antitrust laws are 100 years old. But they didn't necessarily envision the creation of the Internet and what it would entail. And mm-hmm. so he's been openly uh, commented openly that our antitrust laws may need to be updated to reflect sort of this modern technology. Because, again, you know, these companies will tell you that, well, our services are free. So how can consumers being harmed or how can consumers you know, be facing something difficult? But in reality, they're not free. We transact with our data. Um, that's what, how these companies make money. They take our data. They, they use it to advertise to us. And so there, is, there may have to be new and novel approaches to dealing with um, with the Internet because, again, our public policy hasn't necessarily kept pace uh, with, the technolo- with the technology that we're seeing now.
2: We're talking to Rachel Bovard. She's the senior advisor at the Internet Accountability Project, uh, and there are going to be hearings. They were supposed to be Monday, but they've been pushed back to the following Monday because of John Lewis's funeral, but hearings... Uh, uh, congressional hearings about or with or for or in looking into however you want to put it the uh tech the big tech companies now everybody who's any all conservatives are concerned with the bias at google and uh and all of them everywhere um, bias should be none of the government's business unless it is a monopoly and then it, be, it should become the business of the of the government.
6: Well, this is more of a public policy question than than a monopoly question, Uh depending on how you look at it. But, you know, these companies to a great extent now are the public square. And so what responsibility should they have, if any, you know, for maintaining a certain modicum of free speech? Um, Google in particular filters information for 90% of the world. And so whatever, however Google decides how they want to display that information, what they want to amplify, what they want to suppress that can change behavior, that can change elections, that can change all kinds of things. And so, you know, it's a it's a question about how much power these companies have o- over individual liberty and the ability of, of individuals to interface with society. So whether or not that's a monopoly question or a question for Congress, I think is, is going to be something that, that is going to be debated in the next couple of months.
2: Yeah, it seems like Google has the biggest and most powerful monopoly, uh, at least the most noticeable, anyway, I mean, anyway, you, you you know you're doing well when the name of your company becomes a verb. That's that's you're <laughs> you're pretty dominant, aren't you?
6: You are, and don't forget. I mean, Google is huge. It's not just the search engine, right? It's mm-hmm. all of Google's products. It's YouTube. It's the Chrome browser. Um, it's it far and away owns a huge, huge amount of, of business. And you're you're probably using Google and not even realizing it. If you're using Ways, if you're using basically any app on your phone. It connects to Google Maps. Uh, you're using Google. Um, they also control of uh, the ads for, a, for, I think, the top uh, 80 million sites on the Internet. So they're tracking you across the web uh, whether or not you're actually using Google search. So they have a tremendous amount of power over individuals.
2: Is Google denying that to anybody? Uh, it's kind of it's hard to deny that what, you, what what you just said is true. Anybody who's on the Internet for 15 minutes a week knows this.
6: You know, they, I don't think they'll deny it so much as they'll deny it's a problem. (laughs) They think it's completely appropriate for them to be, to have this amount of power. And, you know, in fairness to them, our laws currently allow it. I think the question that lawmakers are asking is, is this harmful to other competitors, right? Is there, can small innovators actually challenge Google? Because we want a marketplace where they can do that. And second, you know, does this have effects on on society that we have ordered? Right? Is Google deciding our the shape and nature of our society and interactions, or are we? <laughs> that mm-hmm. I think is more, more of a philosophical question.
2: What about uh, Amazon? Are they um, uh, a, a bad uh, one of the, the one of the worst offenders?
6: Amazon has much more power than I think people realize. It's not just a retail giant. It is they, a web hosting service, they own half the internet. So when you are watching Netflix, you are using Amazon because Amazon hosts Netflix. Um, and they, to a great degree, um, have also changed the nature of the retail business. If you are a small business in this country, if you want to be competitive, you have to sort of sell through Amazon, which means you have to come, you know, deal with Amazon terms and those can be very aggressive. Um, and so the company is, is, you know, has grown dramatically during this COVID-19 pandemic. Jeff Bezos made $13 billion in one day. And so I think it's now a question of, you know, how are small businesses treated? Um, Is Amazon using its market power appropriately? Um, Or are they violating laws as it relates to antitrust?
2: Is there anybody in Congress who's um, as tech savvy as the people running these companies and going to be able to really figure out what they're doing and figure out how to fix it?
6: Yeah, it's been a perennial problem (laughs) uh, for members of Congress to keep up with with the technology. You know, the antitrust subcommittee has been doing this for over a year. Their staff is very talented in this regard, probably houses most of the expertise on this issue in Congress. So I think they'll be well served in that regard. Um, You know, and you have members that have been studying this issue now for a year. So I think they're catching up to it. But you know the broad, the vast majority of Congress probably doesn't possess the, the special expertise necessary. But again, that's why DOJ, FTC, and the 50 state attorneys general are also looking into this because they do have that detailed technical expertise.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking, I, I wonder how often the people who are doing the investigating used Google, to you know, to, <laughs> to find things about, uh, you know, to find things out. They had to. Well, how else you gonna get it? You know, you're on. Were you gonna go uh, Duck Duck Go? It's, uh, you know. That's where you're going. Google, you can't find right. anything I mean, without even, Google. Basically,
6: they don't have a near-term competitor. Again, ninety-two percent of the world uses Google search, so there yeah. aren't a lot of. Options.
2: So how do you break that up, though, uh, Rachel? I mean, um, and how do you how do you how could anybody be opposed to breaking that up? That's just, as you said, it's more powerful than some countries.
6: Well, part of the issue is you know. Google, again, is not just Google search. So they're gaining a lot of – the reason that Google search is more effective than, say, Bing or DuckDuckGo is because they are gathering data from across all their platforms. Um, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world, and that's owned by Google. Waze, Google Maps, anytime you interface with this, you're giving them data. That data makes Google search more efficient and more effective. And so that's why, you know, their size actually does kind of matter because it's all feeding into one central pool, so it's an open question about how they would address this. Um, a lot of the, the state AGs are looking at Google's digital ad dominance, where they literally control the market from from top to bottom. And so it might be as simple as addressing that area of Google, Google's dominance, um, and reducing uh, Google's stranglehold over the market as a whole.
2: Uh, conservatives don't like government intervention, though. Um, should they make an exception here and be okay with it, or are there still going to be a lot of people on the conservative side who say, I don't like what's going on, but I like intervening less?
6: Well, I think there's a couple of distinctions to make. And the first is that antitrust is not regulation. It's not new law. It's merely law enforcement. Um, These laws have been on the books for a hundred years. And so if these companies are running afoul of the law, they should be handled appropriately. Um, So that's one distinction I would make. And the second is that, you know, it's it's a question of, of how much power these companies have um, and whether or not we as a society are okay with that. And that's I think the broader philosophical question that people are grappling with, because you know, we don't want the government suppressing individual liberty, but sometimes you have corporations that are more powerful than the government also suppressing liberty. And so how does how policymakers respond uh to that question, I think, is is more of the existential debate going on right now on the right. I don't think anybody can deny the power of these companies to control compelled behavior and speech, and that seems to be a public policy
5: concern.
2: Uh, you've uh, co-authored a book with former Senator Jim DeMint. It's called um, Conservative, Knowing What to Keep. What uh, What are we keeping? <laughs> what, what's your book about?
6: Well, we take a look at Russell Kirk, and we sort of update as one of the founding fathers of conservatism, and we update Kirk's uh, principles for conservatism to this modern moment. Um, Because conservatism is still really relevant. It's it's because it is a principled approach to life. It's not a reflexive set of policy proposals or ideologies or rigid dogma. It's principles that say, you know, what's important, um, private property, um, you know, a transcendent moral order, um, a strong civil society. All these things should guide how we approach current policy problems. Um, and, And so we take a look at articulating that for this modern era.
2: And what happens to all this, uh, Rachel, if um, uh, Joe Biden wins and the Democrats take control of the House and the Senate? Maintain control of the House, obviously. I mean, what happens to this um, movement against big tech? Does it stall? Does it end? Does it keep going?
6: Well, there's pretty bipartisan concern about big tech. Democrats tend to come at it from... A slightly different angle. They want more enforcement of, um, of speech. They want, you know, these platforms to crack down harder on, on conservatives, on President Trump. Um, and so, and they're also concerned about some of the crime facilitated by big tech. You know, there was a bipartisan interest in getting control of sex trafficking flourishing on these platforms and, and the laws that have allowed that. Um, so I don't think that it will, the investigations of big tech will stop, but they will take a much more heavy handed approach. Um, then I think Republicans or conservatives would, if they were in the driver's seat. So there's an area of concern there.
2: So uh, I only have about a minute left here. I'm, I'm just wondering what should we hope come out? Should, should, what, what should we be hoping comes out of this uh, this hearing when they have it a week from Monday? What would be good? What would be good news?
6: I think having these tech companies answer a lot of questions that we have. You know, do they? show us their algorithms. Do they, you know, censor for viewpoints? Are they anti-competitive? Can they answer these allegations of, you know, stealing intellectual property of small competitors, using dominance in one sector to, to crush innovation in another? I think we need to get a real clear picture of if there is still a free market in tech. And if there's not, then we have more of an idea of what we can do about it. But this is a good investigative hearing, and I hope that's what the members use it for.
2: let's hope so. Rachel Bovard is the Senior Advisor of the Internet Accountability Project. Thanks for being here. Hope to have you on again. Appreciate it.
6: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: Okay, that's it, and we'll be right back. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. This is John Steigerwald. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and, of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit Pittsburgh dot com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty, why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. That's Pittsburgh dot com. dot com.
8: If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Genesis 950 with water breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can even be used in a carpet cleaning machine. And it's green, so it's safe for your family and pets. Before you purchase new carpets, you must try Genesis 950. It's made in America. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950's not just for pet stains. It's a disinfectant that kills viruses. It can be used on surfaces and floors by mixing one-third Genesis 950 with two-thirds water. Apply to surface and clean with fresh water. It's great for floors, bathrooms, kitchens, garages, grease stains, wheels, tires, decreasing engines, and upholstery. It's available on Amazon. However, if you order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com, you'll receive a free spray bottle and discount using code SALEM. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. Code Salem
2: Worried about deductibles and copays, dental or vision? How about elective procedures? Marley Financial has got you covered. This is John Steigerwald. Marley Financial is now offering a new health savings account that can be used for anything health-related, anything, copays and deductibles, any prescription, even elective procedures. Marley's new TurboCharge Health Savings Account can set you free of high premiums and out-of-pocket expenses. There's even a company-matching component that can provide two or even three to one in benefits. And because it's a contribution, not a premium, your value stays with you for the rest of your life. And if you recently lost your job and your health benefits, Marley has programs to get you the coverage you need when you need it most. Call Marley Financial today at 724-884-1496 and ask about their new turbocharged health savings account. That's 784-884-1496. Marley Financial, the most innovative agency in the marketplace at marleyfg.com.
7: Relief factor, effective pain relief that really, really works. How do I know that? I don't have a script. I don't have talking points. I live it. I've been taking it for a year and a half. I had a lower back pain issue that had been plaguing me for nine years, almost a decade. I took Relief Factor for two weeks. Yes, two weeks, and my pain was gone, and it's still gone. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. Don't take my word for it. See, their incredible video testimonials at relieffactor.com
0: This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer.
2: Well, we've got to finish up the week with some sports. Uh, Sports are starting up. Pirates play what's supposed to be a real game in a a dumb 60-game season, but it's a game. It's supposed to count for something. But uh, one pitcher named Sam Coonrod uh, for the San Francisco Giants refused to kneel during a Black Lives Matter moment uh, last night because of uh, his faith. He was the only player to stand during a moment honoring the Black Lives Matter movement uh, ahead of the opener with the Dodgers. He said, I can't kneel before anything besides God. I'm a Christian, so I just believe that I can't kneel before uh, anything but God, anyone but anything besides God. And um, he also said... Then I just can't get on board with a couple of things. See, this guy's actually read about Black Black Lives Matter. He said, I just can't get on board with a couple of things I've read about Black Lives Matter, how they lean towards Marxism. They don't lean. They are Marxist and say so. And they said some negative things about the nuclear family. I just can't get on board with that. The manager, Gabe Kapler, said he's okay with it. He's to- told everybody... That everybody's going to get a chance to express themselves. Here's, a, here's an idea. How about nobody expresses anything and just plays baseball? How about that for an idea? Or basketball or hockey or football, whatever the game is. We've had enough. Okay, we get it. Just play ball. See you Monday. The John Staggerwalt Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.